Well, today uh, we continue our story of Jacob's story. I love the story of this family, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, this little um, dysfunctional family that God chooses to bless the world through. And what an incredible thing it allows us to enter into the story. We're going to be in this story this week, and then we'll be in this story next week. We'll kind of wrap up this series. And then on the 11th, uh, we really do have the privilege of having our district superintendent come and preach to us for the very first time. Uh, Pastor Kevin um, is a great, great speaker and a good preacher. You're going to want to be here, not just because it's, it's my pastor, uh, or my boss, as some people will say, but want to encourage you to come and plan to be here on November 11th. Um, you'll want to meet Pastor Kevin. Pastor Kevin came from a church in uh, the Baltimore area and is just a great, great uh, pastor and preacher. I have really appreciated getting to know him over the last couple of years. Uh, he has brought some great insight to our district and has helped me personally as a pastor. And so I just want to encourage you to plan to be here. I think we're going to do a little meet and greet afterwards. And uh, Pastor Kevin's going to stay down at the campground because then that Monday night, uh, he's going to gather with the board and myself for my uh, 10-year review. And so we're looking forward to that whole process. So plan to be here. It's going to kind of how that plays out. And then we'll start moving into the Thanksgiving holiday season. And so... Uh, I'm excited about that. But if you have your Bibles, would you turn to Genesis chapter 31? Genesis chapter 31. And we'll begin reading at verse 3. James, I'm going to let you do the scripture time and then I'll take over. Uh, Go ahead and find that. Genesis chapter 31, beginning at verse 3. And can we, for all of you who are able, would you stand as we read... From the Holy Scriptures today. Then Yahweh said to Jacob, Go back to the land of your fathers and to your relatives, and I will be with you. So Jacob sent word to Rachel and Leah to come out to the fields where his flocks were. He said to them, I see that your father's attitude toward me is not what it was before, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I worked for your father with all my strength. Your father has cheated me by changing my wages ten times. However, God has not allowed him to harm me. If he said, the speckled ones will be your wage, then all the flocks gave birth to speckled young. And if he said, the streaked ones will be your wages, then all the flocks bore streaked ones. So God had taken away your father's livestock and has given it to me. In breeding season, I once had a dream in which I looked up and saw that the male goats mating with the flock were streaked, speckled, or spotted. The angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, I answered, here I am. And he said, look up and see that all the male goats mating with the flock are streaked, speckled, or spotted. For I have seen all that Laban has been doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now leave this land at once and go back to your native land. Then Rachel and Leah replied, 
Do we still have any share in the inheritance of our father's estate? Does he not regard us as foreigners? Not only has he sold us, but he has used up what was paid for us. Surely all the wealth that God took away from our father belongs to us and our children. So do whatever God has told you. Then Jacob put his children on his wa- and his wives on camels, and he drove all his livestock ahead of him, along with all the goods he had accumulated at Padan Aram, to go to his father Isaac in the land of Canaan. Thus ends the reading. Let us pray. Father, help us to once again enter into this ancient story and help us to hear the good news and the challenge of what you call us into and call us to be in this path of transformation. For we ask all of this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So we have this, uh, just to, if you've been gone the last couple of weeks, I want to catch you up really quickly. We uh, learned about this guy, Jacob, and we're kind of plopped into the middle of this story. And Jacob, we find out, is living up to his name. Because the name Jacob means heel grabber. It means someone you don't trust. It's someone who is a little tricky, and they will take advantage of you if it comes uh, to their advantage. They will take that advantage no matter what. And we find out that Jacob lives up to his name. And when his brother was starving to death, he kind of stole all the possessions from him by saying, yeah, you'll give me all that stuff and I'll give you a bowl of soup. And his brother does that. But that wasn't good enough. He decided to take advantage of his father's blindness, his elderly father's blindness. He takes advantage of to not only steal the property, but to steal the blessing, to steal the position that his older brother was to have. And we talked some about what that meant last week in our service. But then he, he goes away. He goes away because his taking advantage of other people has made people very angry with Jacob. And so he runs away to try and go to his family's land. And we find out that while he was there, he and sleeping at night at Bethel, God wakes him up. He has this dream of a ladder, Jacob's ladder, and angels are going. And he finds out that God has been with him in all of this. We find that God, before Jacob could do anything, includes him in the blessing of Abraham and Isaac and says that that blessing will then bless the world and I will be with you. And he wakes up. Not just from sleep, but he wakes up to the fact that God has been with him. That God has seen all the taking advantage of. God has seen all the tricks that he has played. And he begins to realize that a transformation needs to take place in his life. And so he begins to trust. We saw how he took those baby steps last week. That he's going to trust in this God. That this God is going to do what this God says he will do. Uh, If he will help him and he puts all these conditions, he will say, you are my God. And then he realizes that if this God is this kind of God, present everywhere and generous, and I've been living my life as someone who tries to take advantage of people and grab all I can because I have this lack and insecurity in who I am, then something's got to change in my giving patterns. And so he vows to give 10%. I said last week that it was the first time tithe is mentioned in the Bible. And some of you Bible quizzers said, oh, but what about Melchizedek? If you don't know who Melchizedek is, it's okay. It's just some people who are extra super nerdy like me. 
And I said, well, yes, he was a priest king. And Abraham, Jacob's grandfather, did say he would give him a tenth. But that was to a priest king. This is the first time a tithe is given directly to God. Okay? So I should clarify that. Don't want anybody thinking I'm pulling, you know, trivia out of thin air. But he says, I've got to change my giving patterns. I've got to trust in this God that these have to be together. This trusting of the generous God who is everywhere with me. And I will give to him what he blesses me with. This is what we saw. But now Jacob is moving on and he gets to the land. We're going to look at the next phase of Jacob's transformation. And maybe you'll see yourself in this story. Because you see, he runs away and he comes eventually to his uncle Laban's house. And we find out that uncle Laban is the master and Jacob is only the learner, is only the apprentice of the trickiness and the craftiness that this this can happen. So I want you, if you have your Bibles uh, open still, just turn back a couple of pages to Genesis 29. Genesis 29, and we'll begin at verse 15. I want you to hear this. Now, this is going to be a strange story. This is part of what makes the Bible intriguing and yet a difficult book to read because it is, you know, we're talking 5,000 years ago or more, and these traditions of their day and age are not the traditions of our day and age. So you'll see what I mean as, as we begin to read this story, okay? So verse 15 says, After Jacob had stayed with him, Laban, for a whole month, Laban said to him, Just because you're a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had delicate eyes. I know some of your translations will say weak eyes. She didn't need glasses. It meant she, they were delicate. They were beautiful in a different way. Uh, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it's better for me to give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. My time is completed and I want to make love to her. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob. Now, and Jacob made love to her. And Laban gave his servant Zilpah to his daughter as her attendant. Now, some of us are, you know, we have this idea, you know, how could this happen? Come on, really? I mean, but you got to remember, you're thinking the day and age of electricity where we flip off light switches. And then some of you might think, oh, well, I can go back. But they had torches, right? Yeah, if you were very, very wealthy, you had torches. Otherwise, you just had a campfire. And then you went into your dark tent and uh, someone was brought to you. And in this instance, it was Leah, the one with delicate eyes. And Jacob wakes up with quite a surprise. Verse 25, when morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Nothing like a deceiver when they get deceived to overreact, right? Laban replied, 
It's not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the old one. Finish this daughter's bridal week. Then we will give you the younger one also in return for another seven years' work. See what I mean? The cultures are very different, right? (laughs) And Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah. And then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her attendant. Jacob made love to Rachel also, and his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah. And he worked for Laban another seven years. Ah, man, don't you just love it when the trickster gets tricked? And all of a sudden, here it is. He has to enter in and see this thing that has happened. And what, uh, what we begin to see that really is taking place with the trickster being tricked is that in this journey of transformation of Jacob, Jacob now enters into the shoes of the ones that he has taken advantage of, that he tricked. You see, Laban saw that he could take advantage of something in Jacob, his eagerness for love for Rachel. And he could do something that would get him seven more years of work from Jacob. And what happens, you can hear it in his cry of, how could you do this to me? Why would you? We were family. It was in this that he begins to understand what he has done to other people. This is a step on the journey of transformation. No matter if your name is Jacob or Jeff or Bob or Joyce, when we begin this trans- when God begins this transforming work in our lives, God is going to take us to help us understand the ways that we have wronged other people. It is one way of building what I and, and others uh, call empathy. So I want to talk just briefly about empathy. Uh, empathy is different than sympathy. But I want us to focus on empathy today. Um, there are four characteristics of empathy. Are you ready for that? Number one is perspective taking. That means that you can see what the other person is feeling and you can take that into yourself and feel some of what they are feeling. You can at least, at the very least, say that what they are feeling is true. And it is their truth and it is what they are feeling. And you take a little bit of that into yourself and you can be there present with them. Number two is that you you have to stay out of judgment. Which is really difficult considering the way, the amount of joy we tend to get from judging. I know that's hard, but trust me, Facebook would be way less popular if we didn't enjoy judging so much. (laughs) Number three, it is recognizing, being able to recognize the emotion in the other person. You can see the tears, you can, you can see the downtrodden, even if they're kind of putting on a mask, and then you are able to communicate what you see. You see, empathy is feeling with other people. If you've never had the chance to uh, read or listen to any of Brene Brown's talks, you really ought to. She has uh, done some incredible work on, on uh, really on vulnerability, on how important that is for us as human beings, on empathy and sympathy, um, and how we begin to dare greatly to live our lives as God has called us to live. And she says, empathy is when someone says, I've fallen in a hole, I'm stuck, it's dark, and I'm overwhelmed. And you climb down and you say, hey, I know what it's like down here. 
and you are not alone. That's an important thing to learn as we grow and understand with God. You know, we see this. We're going to celebrate this. We call it Christmas here in just a few weeks. This is where God came down, where we were, stuck and overwhelmed, and said, hey, I'm here with you. Reminds over and over what God said to Jacob. I am with you. I am with you even here. She goes on and says, empathy is a choice. This is important here. Uh, You're going to want to understand this, especially if you're in any kind of relationship at all. Uh, Empathy is a choice. And it is a vulnerable choice. And we don't like that word vulnerable. It scares us. But it is a choice because in order to connect with you in what's going on in your life, I have to connect with something in myself that knows that same feeling. That is so important. Husbands, can I tell you how important that is? And that if you have a struggle trying to connect on some level with the emotion that you're seeing in your spouse. I'm picking on guys today because we tend to struggle with the vulnerability part. But if you can somehow find a way to enter in and recognize the feeling that you see in your spouse in your own life, it will drastically transform your conflict resolution skills. It absolutely will. Because Brene will go on and say that in those moments, a reply will never bring healing. The only thing that can bring a healing is a connection. And Jacob has to learn this. Because we find out that Jacob never had empathy. Jacob was all in it for himself. Jacob was was just trying to look for the vulnerability in others so I could take advantage of it and use it for my benefit. So that I could get wealthy or I could get rich or I would not have to be the servant of someone else. And God says and God leads Jacob on this journey to where he begins to understand what he needs to understand. And that is that empathy is required for transformation. And sometimes these difficult situations are really opportunities to grow and for you and I to become an empathetic person. That's important. I know maybe it doesn't seem important for you, but I want you to know how important it is for us to enter in and understand from those, or those around us and feel with them. Now, that doesn't mean that every, you know, every negative thing that happens in your life is caused by God. It doesn't mean that every difficult situation will work out the way that you want it to work out with. But I do want to give you some new lenses that say if you are currently going through a difficult situation in your life, it may just be that this is an opportunity for you to grow in empathy. And you may want to begin to ask, I wonder how God will use this to help me help someone else. To enter in down there and say, hey, I understand what you're going through and I'm here with you. This is going to be important. And it is really, truly, honestly, only after Jacob feels the full weight of what it was like for those he took advantage of that he can ever even attempt to go back home. 
I think, it, I think it's God's timing. It's right there as he's felt the full weight of this. We've seen that not only did, did uh, Laban swindle him out of, these, uh, out of the correct spouse and all of those kinds of things and get more labor, but then he changed the wages ten times. It said, how many of you would keep working your job if your employer kept changing your wages ten times? Not a one of us. It would be a difficult thing. But Jacob learns, what does he say? But God has been with me. In the process of the difficulties, in the process of this empathy development, he learns a great truth that God has been with him all the way through. And now, once he can live in the tension between, I understand what I did to my brother and my father, and I understand the full weight of it, and I also understand that God is with me and God is bringing the transformation, it's only then that God can say, now go back home. If it was before he learned those lessons, going back home would just get him killed. But when he goes back home, understanding what he has done, he knows he can begin to move back towards home. doesn't mean it's going to be easy. We're going to see that next week. There's one more step in his process of transformation. But he has learned this, and we must learn this. So what does this mean for us? What about us? Is there some part of us, and I'm talking us as a church, that needs to re-evaluate or look at our empathy skills? Take just a moment. Do you remember what it was like to walk in this building for the first time? To maybe know one or two people, but that's it? Have you ever wondered, can you, can you go back to that place, to the, the nervousness, the anxiety, the fear maybe? You see, folks, we need a congregation that no longer just looks around and says, oh, my friends are here, and just talks there. But we need a congregation that has worked out their empathy muscle, that realizes that anyone new who comes in that door, anyone that I look at and say, I don't know them, may just be in the situation you were in the first time you walked in the door. And we need folks who are willing to pray for God to help them really understand that they could crawl down uh, to that person who might be just full of fear and anxiety walking in the door and say, hey, I've been there, and this is a good place, and I'm going to be here with you. We need those folks. We need you. We need you to understand that God wants to lead you to understand what it's like to come in those doors and be with people. Remember, a reply, a handshake, those are nice, but they're never going to do as much as a connection that says, I've been there. I know what you're going through, and I'm here with you. I'll be with you. What about, do we remember what it was like before Jesus? Before Jesus made a change in your life. You know, we use a lot of words when I was lost or before Jesus saved me or, you know, whatever word you need to use for that. Do you remember what it was like before God's love transformed you? Before you understood that God was willing to to crawl down in that hole with you? 
and say, hey, I know what you're going through, and I'm here with you. Sometimes, my friends, we forget that. We forget what it was like. We, lose, we have lost in many respects. I'm, I'm going to share this just from my pastoral heart. Sometimes I think we have lost our empathy to understand what life is like without Jesus. Without understanding love and grace and mercy that only God can give. And I think that we need to have a moment, a time, where we remember what God has taken us from and the journey God has led us on and we understand the burden that we want to share that. We wouldn't want anyone to live without this love and mercy and grace that is only found in Jesus. And just feeling sorry for people who don't know Him doesn't cut it, folks. It is only when God, through His Holy Spirit, helps us to remember what it was like without mercy that we will enter in and we will begin to see and to love people. You know, Paul did a lot of things in his life, planted a lot of churches, transformed. You know, some even called him apostle. But you know what Paul referred to himself as? The chief of sinners. That's empathy. That's like, I know what it's like to live on my own, to live in my own strength. It led me all the way to even persecute people who just love Jesus. But God transformed me. God filled me with His love. God was merciful. God was gracious. And I'm the chief of sinners and I understand. And I want other people to know what life with Jesus is like. And it starts with crawling down to where they are and saying, hey, I know what it's like, and I'm here with you. Church, we need people who are willing to let God place that burden upon them. And I'm not just talking about pastors. I'm not talking about people who are training for ministry. I'm talking about ordinary, regular, everyday men and women who go to work and go to school and do those things. Do you remember what it was like without Jesus? And are you willing to let God place that burden on your heart so that you can begin to see what it's like without Jesus and be willing to say, I know what this is like and I'm here with you. It's in that moment that you become Jesus for your friend or your family member or your neighbor. We need to recover the skills of empathy. I want to close with this uh, this story. This is my crew yesterday over at uh, Colonial uh, Woods. And we just brought out some dumpsters and a lot of trailers. <laughs> That's me. I don't know if you can see me in the yellow and black hat there underneath the mattress. Um, we did a lot of lifting and a lot of things. While I was there, I met this woman named Pat. She goes to one of the other churches. And I began to talk with her as we were working and doing some of these kinds of things. And she talked with me about the difference between sympathy and empathy. See, she grew up living in, uh, in a trailer, trailer park area, very low economic status. And, uh, and her one goal in life was to get out of that. She was kind of like Jacob. I just want to get out. I want to live my life differently. She did. She had a home in Portage. She was, she was doing great. And her pastor called, and they were going to go on a prayer walk over here at, at Colonial Woods just to say, what will God do for us in here? 
And on that walk, God tapped her on the shoulder and said, you know what it's like to be here. And she didn't want to. But she felt like God was saying, I need you to go back. I need you to go in. I need you to be my voice that says, I know what it's like, and I'm here with you. A couple days later, she called her pastor and said, God's told me I've got to sell my house in Portage. I'm, I'm going to move in to Colonial Woods. I wish you could see the way the kids ran to her. Called her by name. She had candy for them. She, she encouraged them. They, they became a part of our crew. They began to help and, and do these things. And she is now, there are, there's a partnership of four or five churches who have hired someone from Youth for Christ to go in and they are a youth pastor not to a church but to a mobile home park. And she is developing all the children's stuff and then they get sent on to Tyler and his wife who are doing all the youth ministry over there. My friends, that is empathy. I could sit there and feel sorry for folks who didn't have it as well as I have it. Pat helped me to see, no, what God is calling us to be is empathetic. To feel with. To move in. And to say, I am here with you. This is what we are called to, my friends. Are you willing to let God transform you and your life in just that way? Maybe it starts with getting in touch again with what it was like before Jesus. Maybe it's getting in touch with what it's like to walk in those doors. Maybe it's something else. But I know that God will lead you on this journey because God led Jacob on this journey. And we'll see next week what that looks like.